0: Our series is The Final Words from the Cross. And as I mentioned, is in your bulletin. We are following an outline from a book written by uh, Pastor Adam Hamilton. Excellent book. And even if you haven't been reading along through Lent, I would encourage you to maybe consider it for future reference. It would be good any time, but Lent is a time when the, the weeks leading up to Easter, Christians, we typically pause. And we take some time to reflect on our need for repentance our need for forgiveness, and what Jesus has done and why he went to the cross. So we've been looking at these last words spoken from Jesus from the cross. This is obviously not his last words because we know the resurrection is coming and he will have more to say. But these are the final words that Jesus spoke from the cross. So today we're going to be reading from John 19, verses 28 to 29. And by the way, I should mention, as we jump into the middle of the scripture, he is on the cross in the scripture as we read it. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, use these words, use our meditations. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, You've probably noticed as we move through this series that our, our scripture readings are very short, and that's because Jesus didn't say a lot from the cross. And that's why we wanted to take some time to look at them. Because the few things that he did say and that the disciples recorded in the Gospels, we feel, are fairly important. So this is an interesting one. Why take the time to remember that Jesus said he was thirsty? Of all the thing, other things, perhaps there was just so little he said that they just wanted to get it down. But knowing the writer of the Gospel, uh, John's Gospel... It's unlikely that this was simply a throwaway note. That's just not the way John wrote his gospel. So we want to take some time to look at this. You know, water and our need, the human need for water is one of the most basic needs in all of life. There's the, uh, maybe you've heard the rule of threes in survival. If you've ever taken any survival courses or wilderness survival, especially anything like that or heard of it. Um, they talk about the threes. You can go three minutes without air. You can go three hours without shelter. That's in a severe environment. They sometimes put a little um, asterisk in that one and say, unless we're talking about ice-cold water, and then you only have three minutes. So ice-cold water goes with the three minutes of air. But three minutes of it without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. So, if you're in a survival situation, you need to prioritize these things, right? And what's most important? Air, of course, but then shelter, and then water, and then food. And water is one of the most basic things. If you, and this, depending on the situation, you may or may not last three days without water. So, it's one of the most basic needs in life. the um, The book that was recently made into a movie um, called Unbroken by Louis Zamperini. I highly commend it to you, especially because most people don't realize the end of that book. He talks about his experience at a Billy Graham crusade and the way Jesus changes his life. And that's not necessarily what a lot of people think about now, that they think about his story. So I will commend it to you, it's called Unbroken. In that book, he talks about being a World War II fighter pilot and being shot down in the middle, or crashes actually, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And being on a life raft with these two other men and one of their most desperate needs is water. And if you've ever heard any stories of those who have been lost at sea, you know how terribly painful that is because you're exposed, especially if you're in a hot climate like they were, you're exposed to the weather and the sun all day long. And you're surrounded by an ocean of endless water and you're dying of thirst and you can't drink any of it because it's all salt water. Just a horrible, almost torturous situation. And so he describes the, the, the long amount of time that they were floating on this raft and being surrounded by sharks and actually having a plane they thought was going to rescue them, shoot at them because it was an enemy plane, putting holes in the raft, everything that went on. And talking about them being so desperately thirsty that when they caught a seagull, and this will kind of gross you yeah, out, but this tells you what it's like, that they drank the blood. Because they were so desperate for any form of liquid. It made me think about the time that I had my thirstiest moment. And these, I don't know if you have one of these, like this sticks in my mind. I can never shake it. Whenever I get really thirsty, this comes right back to me. Because, and I've mentioned this too many times probably, but I was a wildland firefighter and I was on a fire in what's called the Painted Hills in Oregon beautiful to look at, miserable to be out in, because there's really no shade or shelter. It's just sagebrush, juniper, gorgeous rock, painted multicolors, which get extremely hot in the summer. And this day was over 100 degrees, and this is in Eastern Oregon, and it was in August, and we were on a fire. So the sagebrush and anything that was on the ground was burning, and there were coals everywhere. One of the hottest days I can remember. And so we started off in the morning, and we filled up with as much water as we could possibly carry. Um, Water, by the way, you learn this pretty quickly when you're a firefighter, because it's so important. It weighs eight pounds per gallon. So we had two and a half gallons of water in a bladder in our backpack. And then in addition to that, I loaded up with my four one-quart canteens, so another gallon of water. And so we went up on this fire, and by noon, I was out and parched. And so when they asked for a volunteer to go down and get a, a special backpack pump, that contained five gallons of water, and it was at the bottom of the hill with our rigs, I actually volunteered to be the one to go down in the middle of the day to grab that thing and hike it back up, 40 pounds of water, because I was so desperate for my own water. And I remember getting to the truck and just filling up and just guzzling water, just guzzling as much as I could possibly contain, and then filling everything back up all the way, and going back up on the fire, and it was gone again before I got done at the end of the day. So that's how much water... I just, just think about that. That's unbelievable to me that I went through that much water in a day. That was my thirstiest moment. But nothing could compare, I'm sure, to the kind of thirst that Jesus is experiencing on the cross. We don't know when he got his last drink. It may have been at the Last Supper. Because when he was taken and arrested, we don't know if anyone was compassionate enough to give him water during his time of being tried before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate, and now he's in the Middle Eastern sun hanging naked on a cross, and that would be bad enough to have to do that and be exposed in that way for six hours, you can imagine how thirsty that would make you but Jesus has already lost an extraordinary amount of blood He's been whipped and tortured in a way that ripped the flesh right off his bones. He's had nails put through his wrists or his hands and his ankles. And he's on this cross. Who knows how much blood he's lost. It's very likely that that was the cause of his eventual death was the lack of blood. And here he is on the cross. And there's three instances of Jesus being offered something to drink on the cross. This is one of them. But there's two others. The first one is recorded in Mark 15 and Matthew 27. And this is before Jesus is actually crucified. He's already been beaten and he's taken up to the hill. And there's an offering of some kind of wine mixed with gall or myrrh, depending on the translation or the the gospel writer... And we're not really sure what that's all about, although most people think that what was being offered to Jesus was a kind of um, homemade painkiller. Or maybe even a kind of homemade poison that was being offered to Jesus. There are, there's a minority of people who think that this was just an additional form of torture by the Roman soldiers, that they were giving this to Jesus to make him sick to his stomach. So that in addition to everything else, he would be throwing up and vomiting as he was going through this experience. But most people think that this was probably more likely an act of mercy by some of his followers. Who were trying to offer him a either pain deadener or perhaps even something to make his death go more quickly. And Jesus refuses it. He refuses that drink. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And then in Luke 23, we have the example of some sour wine being offered up to Jesus as a sort of a toast, apparently, by the soldiers. And most people think that this is an example of Jesus being mocked in another way by the soldiers. Kind of the hail King of the Jews. You know, here's a toast. to, And probably, they think, also holding up on a stick, but just out of reach. So that as as desperate as he was for a drink, it was a way of sort of taunting him and torturing him further. That was Luke's recording in Luke 23. Matthew, Mark, and John, they'll record this third instance, right before Jesus dies, when he's offered some sour wine. And this is a kind of, we would call it like a wine vinegar. And so if you understand, I've heard all kinds of crazy explanations about the sour wine. It's not that complicated, because anyone who's ever made wine, and I happen to have made some wine, I enjoy doing it, you know there's a pretty, you know, with our biology today, we understand the process, right? You have some yeast, which are actually organisms, and they're going to you take know, that wine, and they're going to ferment, they're going to take in the uh, sugars, and then put out carbon dioxide and alcohol, and you get wine. Well, in this time, the way you made wine was you just left the grape juice out until it started fermenting. It's just a wild yeast that flips through the air. You can not do this today, I did sourdough bread. You do it that way, you just let the wild yeast, and whatever yeast happens to take over, you get different flavors. So once you get a really good sourdough bread starter going, you gotta keep that, because that you know, creates this great flavor in your bread. Well, the wine is the same way. If you wanna make wine that way, you might get lucky and get a strain of yeast that creates some really good tasting wine, or you might get unlucky and get some yeast that creates something like vinegar. And so the stuff that tasted like vinegar, they used for um, lesser quality, you know, drinks. And they considered it, I, I think it's kind of disgusting, but many people at that time considered it refreshing. But it was a drink of the poor. It was the drink of the soldiers. It was the drink of the, uh, those who didn't have money to buy the good stuff. And so this is what's being offered up to Jesus. And Mark and Luke record and connect this event with the previous week's final words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they think, people think he's calling because he says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And they say, oh, he's calling for Elijah. And so someone says, well, let's give him something to drink. And it's probably, and they're basically saying, hey, let's see if we can get him to last a little bit longer because they say, wait, let's see if Elijah will come. So that's how Mark and Luke understand it. John John thinks a little bit differently here. He understands these words according to what we read. John says Jesus is speaking these words because he knows that everything has been accomplished. And he's doing it to fulfill Scripture. To complete Scripture. So we really have two elements to this statement of being Jesus saying, I'm thirsty. One, having to do with his Humanity, and one having to do with his divinity. And this is so important because whenever we're trying to interpret and understand Jesus, we have to hold these things in tension though they don't fit well in our head. Jesus, fully human. Jesus, fully God. Fully divine. Both are true all the time. So on the human side of Jesus, on the humanity side, he knows it's all done. And so now he's willing to accept a drink. People, when they're dying, even if they're dying just a natural death, are often very thirsty right before they die. It's pretty common. And why is that important that Jesus is thirsty? Again, because he is fully human. He's not escaping the suffering. And people who look at that other instance of Jesus being given some poison, they see that as being very important. That Jesus said, no, I am doing this. I'm doing all of it. I am not going to cut I cut myself out of this experience, just like in the garden when he was in distress and said, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is saying, I'm going to experience all of this. So, on that side, Jesus is fully human. Very early on in Christianity, there were a number of heresies that came up, and one of them was called docetism. And it comes from the Greek word dokeo, which means to see. And those who believed in this they said that Jesus only seemed like he was human. He was really fully God. He was fully a spirit, if you will. But he only appeared to be human. And this was a way of sort of moving away from all the uncomfortability of of all that Jesus suffered and went through. That he sort of um, transcended that. And so that makes the cross and all that happened more of an act than... God fully experiencing suffering. And we talked last week why this was so important that he did. And this was rejected as something that was not accurate about Jesus early on in Christianity. The reason it's so important is because God fully, chose to fully enter into human suffering. So we have a God who fully understands When we experience loss, when we experience pain, when we experience the difficulties of life, God is not somewhere way up there and we're way down here and we're kind of pleading with God to just understand. You don't understand me, God. We might say those things, but he fully understands suffering. He, the author of Hebrews, will say we have a high priest in Jesus who completely understands. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. I know for us, high priest probably doesn't carry a lot of meaning. But for them, the high priest was the guy who wore the fanciest robes and had a lot of money, usually. and was in the temple and he was the one, along with the other priests, that you went through to access God. And for most people, he seemed completely distant and unsympathetic to their needs and their pain. And the author of Hebrews says, because Jesus was fully human, and he went through what we did, we have him as our high priest, who completely understands. On the divinity side of Jesus, on the side that is fully God, John says that when Jesus speaks this word, words is to fulfill the scripture. It's probably from Psalm 69. That's where we think this comes from. Psalm 69 Verse 21 says, They gave me me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 69, 21. But beyond just that psalm, there are many other connections that Christians have made between this comment of Jesus being thirsty, because Jesus talked about water. Jesus talked about himself and water Beyond simply baptism, we have this, these powerful stories. And the one that comes to my mind when I hear this, I thirst, is the story of the woman at the well. This is the story where Jesus was walking, and he was going sort of through country that was with the Samaritans. who didn't fully believe in all the scriptures. they only believed a few scriptures. They worshipped in a place other than the temple. And Jesus is going there, and it's inappropriate for Samaritans and good Jewish practitioners to be together, Rarely, they just tried to avoid each other as much as possible. And Jesus sends his disciples into the town, and he's thirsty. This is John's story, by the way. That's why these connections happen. You go, okay, there's something going on here, right? Jesus was thirsty, and he asks, he talks to not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And a man man didn't talk to a woman outside their household, just out of the blue, on the street. She's in the middle of the day getting water, which women normally do this in the morning and evening. And he asks her for water, and she says, has this conversation with him. And it goes kind of interestingly, because he points out that she's had five different husbands, and she's unmarried. And she says, you're a prophet, and they have this conversation. And he basically tells her, I am the Messiah. And he tells her in that conversation in John 4, he says, Everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the well water, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. And what's the woman say? She says, sir... Give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Abraham Maslow was a. Uh, psychologist, sociologist, American, who talked about the hierarchy of needs. This comes up a lot in education. You may have heard this, if you've ever seen like uh, the food pyramid that the USDA used to use, it's kind of like that. So on the bottom are the most basic human needs, and then it goes up from there. And he said the most basic human need um, had to do with psychological needs, and then safety was the next level up, and then belonging and love, and then esteem, and then self actualization, and then transcendence. So for him, oh, I said psychological, sorry. Physiological needs are on the very bottom. Those are the things we talked about water, food, shelter, okay? He said those are the most basic needs. And then things like safety, belonging, love, up and up and up, right? Well, when Jesus has his conversation with the woman at the well, he is pointing to her, out, out to her, and to us, that there's a need that goes even deeper than our need for air, for water, for shelter. There's something else that's more basic that human beings need. When Jesus says, I thirst from the cross, he's taking upon his lips the prayers of all the sinners who've been separated from God. There's something in them that's crying out, I'm thirsty, I I don't know why, I don't know what I need. I'm desperate. This is not because Jesus is a sinner, but because he is taking upon himself the sins of the world. He's taking upon himself the penalty for all that sin. And in this act on the cross, he's fulfilling all scriptures. All the scriptures that pointed to the day of victory and freedom, promise of the Messiah, it's happening now. He's doing and reaching the most basic need of all of humanity, even though they may not understand it. And for us as well. Have you experienced this water that Jesus talked to the woman about? He says it's going to become like a spring of water that gushes up to eternal life, is how he describes it to her. <clears throat> the best water I ever tasted. Can you? I, I don't know if I'm weird this way. Like I remember these things. Like, I remember the best water I ever tasted. It was at Camp Davidson. It is a place, it was a church camp, and I went there with my school, and this is in Central Oregon, um, out by a lake, just near Sisters Oregon, actually. And we took this little hike on this trail, and up on that trail, it's a very dry climate there, by the way, unless you're there in the winter, it's all snow. Very dry, and we go up this trail, and off the side of this trail was a spring, and it wasn't very big. It was only about the size of a basketball, and it was coming out of these rocks on the side of this trail and going across the trail, and it was just coming straight out of the ground. There's nothing above it that you can see. There's nothing, I mean, it just a little straight And we would drink right out of there, completely safe to drink out of, and it was ice cold and oh so good. Best water I ever tasted. I mean, I'm sure I was pretty thirsty because I was on a hike, but I still think about that. I mean, that was amazing water. If I could bottle that up and sell it, man, make a fortune, right? This is the kind of water Jesus is talking about. When he talks to that woman, he says living water. He's talking to her. He says, it's not like this well water that you dig down for and it's kind of stale. It's like moving water. They call that living water. It's it's water bubbling up out of you like a spring. But it's gushing up to eternal life. This is how Jesus describes what he is offering us. Through his atonement on the cross. All of the other things that we pursue in life. Money. Food. Rest. Clothes. Our house. Shelter. The respect of others. Whatever it is. Prestige. Honor. None of these things will ultimately satisfy this thirst that we have in us. That can only be satisfied through Jesus Christ. I know we know this as Christians, we, we say we know this, but the truth is that throughout most of our day, we run around frantic and busy and restless and searching for something and forgetting that we've already been promised all that we need. It's on tap, it's available. We have the source through Jesus Christ gushing up within us if we would only ask let's pray Lord we're so thankful for what you did on our behalf we're thankful for the promise of forgiveness for the promise of life Father we desire this and we know those around us desire it too So, God, we ask for what you offer. We ask that you would quench our deepest thirst and our deepest needs. And we might live in that place of satisfaction and fulfillment every single day. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.